There's a lot of powerful words all through the scriptures, mercy, forgiveness, and love, and it goes on and on and on, reconciliation. But this morning, if you've got your scriptures, turn over to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, and there's a word that is a powerful word that just stands out, and it's going to be coming up here in just a second that's framed, and it's the word adultery. So as we continue through the series on the Ten Commandments, uh, this is the one that I've been given the responsibility to preach on. So I thought this morning it might be good for us just to revisit to keep the day holy and Sabbath and just focus on that and see how you're doing. This would be an easy sermon to bypass and let somebody else do because it's difficult. Because the world that we live in today is not a world that in any way wants to hear an absolute truth. And isn't it interesting when the word came off of the mountain and this absolute truth was laid out that God didn't use, use phrases like a moral indiscretion or an affair or a summer fling or an office romance or a one-night stand. There is no 50 shades of gray. God mandates his moral standard in one sentence. You shall not commit adultery. Now, for you to look at that word, it simply means this. It's anything that violates a marriage. It's something that would contaminate or to make unpure. As I began to examine this text and pray through this text, there were just two things that kept resonating. One was, there's a battle. And number two is, we need a battle plan. Everybody here today, I hope you realize that there is a battle, and the battle is real. And because it's real, you... And I need a battle plan. How serious is it? Turn with me to Psalms 51. What I love about the Psalms is above many of the Psalms, there's a story that tells you what's coming. And this is one of the most tragic stories of all time. David and Bathsheba had this adulterous affair, and there was so much collateral damage. There were so many consequences to be paid. David, his entire life would be altered. His family would be shattered. His kingdom would be shattered. His reputation would be shattered. And so he's crying out to God. And listen to the first four verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Do you know what David is saying? God, at the end of it all, with all the suffering that I've been through, the bottom line is this. I have sinned against you this sin is personal. It is personal. So we need to realize that the battle is real. And because it's real, we better have a plan. At the very heart of this command is to be faithful to the most sacred relationship in our lives and ultimately being faithful to God. So let me issue a warning to everyone here with a bumper sticker that I read a long time ago. This is truly words of wisdom. Be careful. The grass on the other side may be greener because it's growing over a cesspool. 
And let me tell you, that doesn't just apply for you're looking at a job that you think is a better job and the grass is greener. It applies to your moral compass. The grass always seems greener. Do you know why it's greener? You think Satan is stupid? Because it's over a cesspool, a moral cesspool. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, tells us that this battle that we are facing is not just a battle of the flesh. It is flesh and spirit. And so we know as we go into this battle, God's scripture is laying out that you need to be careful of what is capable through the flesh and yet the power of battling temptation through the spirit. So here's a formula that I put together that I think might be helpful. First of all, let's look at the flesh. When you approach a temptation in the flesh, it looks something like this. Temptation plus unrealistic short-term gratification equals destruction. Would you say that with me? Temptation plus unrealistic short-term gratification equals destruction. Proverbs 16, 18 is probably one of the most misquoted scriptures ever quoted. Now, you've heard it this way. Pride comes before a, but that's not what it says. It said pride leads to destruction. There's a difference between a fall and destruction. And I believe that's what we need to realize, that if we allow this temptation to take off in our lives, that it isn't a fall. Potentially, it will destroy everything in its path. It is serious business. But here's what happens in the spirit. Temptation plus God's word in the spirit plus life experience gives us a big picture life perspective. Now, what do I mean by that? We're all tempted. Everybody in this room is tempted, and you're tempted every day. So when we're tempted, if we allow God's Word and God's Spirit to be moved through our lives, then that Word becomes a life principle. And once it becomes a life principle, then it becomes our thoughts and our habits. And then when we throw in life experience, the short-term gratification fades away because of life experience. Now, here's the great news about life experience. It doesn't have to be your life experience. God said, let's start with the Word of God. Let's take unfaithfulness, and let's look at what can happen if you're unfaithful. So he gives us the life of David. He gives us the prophet Hosea. He tells us through the words of Jesus that your thoughts matter so much because of what can happen. He goes through here and he says, I want you to see the lives that have been impacted by not listening to this command. There's a life experience. The other life experience is all, just think of all the friends and all the life experiences that we've had and we have seen as a result of disobeying God's command. And that gives us a long-term perspective. And we all desperately need those perspectives. Let me give you a, a couple of personal examples of, of how this has been clarified and given me a long-term perspective. When I was 18 years old, my mom said, tonight I want us to sit down and watch a documentary together. Who in their right mind at the age of 18 wants to watch a documentary with their mother? And my mother was like living with Mother Teresa. Seriously, you know. And I'm like, oh, what is this going to be? The flying nun or something? You know, I'm like, Okay, Mom, let's watch the documentary. So we sit down, and the documentary was called Scared Straight. I don't know if any of you have a clue what that was, but let me tell you, a real feel-good documentary. Um, 
scared straight with these juvenile delinquents that were just borderline going to get in serious trouble, and they put them on a bus, didn't tell them where they were going, took them to a maximum security jail, prison, put them in this room, brought in men and women who were in maximum security, and removed all the guards and just brought a camera in. And they shared a little pep talk with the kids. I couldn't believe my mom was allowing me to hear it, frankly. I mean, I'm saying, man, I can't believe that. And it was over, and my mom said, I don't know if it scared you, it scared me. And I'm like, it did scare me. And it's interesting, years have passed, and I did a little bit of research. There was a lot of lives that day that were changed because they realized, wow, I never dreamed what it was like to get there and what that was like. And then a few years ago, I was teaching some college students, and uh, they were keeping a journal throughout the entire semester. And then at the end of the assignment, you were supposed to write, what did you think about this journal? And it was always the same thing. Uh, I didn't like writing in something every day. I thought this was a bogus assignment. I thought this was busy work. But as I got into it, it actually was a good thing, um, even though I'll never do it again. Thank you, you know, that kind of thing. So I got so used to reading that. And then I got to this one journal. This young man started out by saying, thank you for this journal. It has been a lifeline. He said, a little over a year ago, my mom came home and told the family that she had had an affair with a leader in the church. And I saw my mom, my dad, grown man, I saw my dad wither up, fall on the living room floor, and cry as if he was going to die. And honestly, I'm just trying to get my act together. But at least this helped me to put my feelings on paper. And I remember thinking, I wish I could make a photocopy of this and give it to every married couple. I wish I could give this to every couple that's going into marriage to say, this commandment matters. It's personal. It's personal to the very heart of God. And if it's such a serious matter, and we all know that the battle is real, then we had better have a battle plan. And the battle plan is simply this. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, if you'll turn over there with me, it begins with the mind. It always begins with our thoughts. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it simply says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his pleasing and perfect will is. What's interesting is the placement of the word worship. If you were to ask the average person, what is worship? The sad truth is they would say, well, worship is what you do on an hour Sunday morning. That isn't worship. God says true worship is you surrender everything to me. And specifically, you surrender your bodies to me and you surrender your thoughts to me. You allow me to transform your mind. So coming to church on Sunday, raising your hand, singing, that's all great, but that's not worship. Worship is giving it all to God. That's worship. And so we all know from this word that it begins with the mind. What do we do with the mind? 
Claudia recommended a book to me, and I did some research. It's a book called The Survivor Handbook by Ben Sherwood. And in this book, there are countless examples of men and women who in a, in a matter of life and day, death situations, that there was a 90-second window to make a decision that would save their life. 90 seconds. And you know, I believe the same thing holds true spiritually. There are so many serious, serious temptations that we battle, and you've got about a 90-second window what you're going to do. So my question is, when those critical 90 seconds come, what are you going to rely on? That's the bottom line. What are you going to pull into? What's the resource? What is going to guide you through it? And let me share with you an area that I see a lot of Christians fall into that is a, is a, terrible, a terrible road to go down. From a book, Larry Osborne, 10 Dumb Things That Smart Christians Believe, and this is the area. He says, when you say, my conscience is my guide, you are in serious trouble. Your conscience is not going to get the job done. Let me give you an example of how that's true. A thermometer and a thermostat. What does a thermometer do? It simply gives you black and white absolute truth. Matter of fact, I took my iPhone the other day and I took a picture of the thermometer in my car because it said 108. Can you relate to that? I mean, from years from now, think about it. They're going to talk about the winter of 78 and the summer of 2012. Don't you feel great about that? I just think that's great. But that's all a thermometer does. Boom, absolute truth. What about a thermostat? What a thermostat does, it is adjusts the temperature according to your desire. Now, just so you know the power of a thermostat, anybody here married? Does that change in your household? I don't know about you, but the Robertsons, it's somewhere between like hell and a meat locker. You know, it's just like all over the place. Like, oh, turn it up, turn it down, quit it, you know. We all can, re we can all relate to that. Now, here's the deal. The Ten Commandments, thermostat, truth. Don't mess with this, truth. Don't sway, truth. There's no gray here, truth. But we want to turn it straight from a thermometer into what? A thermostat. We say, man, I want to make some adjustments. Here's how this works. The other day, well, it was a few days ago, I was driving home, and I'm having this battle in my mind. Maybe some of you have had this battle. This summer, I've been trying to eat healthy, and as you can tell, that's working very well. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I could go home and eat a salad, but really, you know, I really should stop, so I should eat something healthy. Uh, I think I'll go to Burger King. And then I pull into Burger King, and now I'm, I'm, this whole battle's going, okay, when I get into Burger King, you know, I should probably get a side salad. And then I get to the door, I'm like, eh, I'm not getting a side salad. You know, I'll work that off on vacation. <laughs> and so I'm going, you know, you, you, you've been there. And so I get inside, and I'm thinking, I don't want a salad. I'm going to get a small fries. I'm going to get a Whopper. No, I'm going to get a Whopper Junior. So I'm, I mean, I'm going through the, so I go up to the counter, and I say, number two, Whopper Junior small fries, okay? And this is what has never happened before. She said, the computer's down. And I'm thinking, I don't care, you know? <laughs> and she says, uh, everything's down. This is free. <laughs> well, I'll take a Whopper, you know? <laughs> okay, now, I, I stuck with the Whopper Junior. But here's, here's where the thought, now stay with me. So, Here's where the thought got crazy. 
I'm eating my fries, and I'm actually feeling good about my meal. And I'm thinking, it's okay to eat this. Why? It's free. So let me start a sentence. I want to see if you can finish it. What happens in Vegas stays in... That's pretty sickening that you all knew that. Now, I want you to play that out. Do you see what the world's done? And this is how the whole thinking is. And specifically, let me talk to guys, because guys get in trouble with this all the time. Is it really wrong if I don't get caught? It's the Burger King mentality. It's free, so it must be okay. It's time to get back to the thermometer. It's time to say, no, you know what? There's an absolute truth. There's a reason why God told me this, and it starts with my mind. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a girl. And please, post this on your refrigerator. It's this important of a verse. It's Proverbs 12.11. He who works the land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Chasing fantasies. The battle of the mind. Pornography. We are living in a world obsessed with fantasy. The statistics that I'm going to share here briefly, sadly, are Christian organizations that are polling men and women in the church. So remember that. From the Triple X Church, an organization that deals specifically with uh, sexual addictions, estimates that there are 70% of the Christians who struggle with pornography on a daily basis. A Barna survey said this. Now, this is going on in the church. 59% of those surveyed said that it was morally acceptable to have a sexual fantasy about someone other than your spouse. Promise Keepers said that the average age of students viewing pornography for the first time, 11. Now, I know what you're thinking, first of all. Well, that's all about men. When you go in the supermarket and you have those uh, steamy, hot novels, 95% of those are bought by women. I didn't buy them. I'm at Burger King. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) This is a world that we all live in. This fantasy world is tearing up marriages like you can't imagine. It's about what's going in your mind. It's what are you feeding your mind on a consistent basis. And so if that is true, we had better had a plan. What I, what I love is even in our bookstore, there are ideas that you can get in great books. Uh, there's a great book called No Man Left Behind. There's another book called Tactics. You just need to prepare your mind for the battle that is ahead because out of this word becomes life principles and from those principles become habits and thoughts and this is where it's at. It is what you are putting into your mind. So what I want to share with you is what I over the years have gathered from uh, being around a lot of men and and seeing marriages fall apart and red flags that have surfaced and some of these things I shared a few months ago uh, in a sermon on guardrails but I just honed in on a few and I'd just like you to jot these down. Number one, avoid one-on-one meetings with the opposite sex at all costs. I know you think that is too extreme. It is not too extreme. And if 
you have to have a meeting one-on-one -on -one with somebody from the opposite sex. Say something positive about your spouse within the first 60 seconds. I can't tell you again, I'm, let me talk a little bit to God. I can't tell you how guys, for whatever reason, thinks it's okay to flirt. Here's the bottom line. You're not trying to get a date for prom anymore. Grow up. And when you go in and say, oh, this is an innocent situation, realize it potentially isn't an innocent, innocent situation. So if you're in that situation and you have to be there within a minute, say something positive about your spouse. A good friend the other day, uh, I asked him about this and he confirmed this, and I think it's powerful. On the road, if you're on the road, the first thing you should do is actually put a towel over your TV just to remove the temptation. I know another guy that actually put a picture of his family and kids right by the TV. It's just a constant reminder on the road that this matters the most. Number three, beware of the Facebook reunion tour. Man, I cannot tell you how many times if you talk to staff about couples coming in and they're going through so many hard times. And you know why? Because somebody got on Facebook and they thought, oh, I wonder how, as if it was so great in high school. You know what I'm saying? Seriously, beware of the Facebook reunion tour. And number four, and this is the most important one, tenaciously, tenaciously fight that first thought. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, take captive every thought. Take captive every thought. Proverbs 4, if you listen to these words of wisdom, starting in verse 20. My son, pay close attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are the life for those who find them. They are health to a man's whole body. And I love this, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Now look at verse 25. This is it. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. When that first thought comes, when temptation comes your way, that's when you have to take that thought captive and you have to surrender it to Christ. Now you might say, that's way too intense. I'm telling you, that's where the battle's at. And start turning those thoughts the right way because once you start down that path of I wonder, I wonder, you're going to get in serious, serious trouble. And then number five, it is so important to be accountable to a Christian friend of the same sex. Now you might say, can it be, be somebody of the opposite sex? Well, let's put common back into common sense, okay? Think about how important it is to have a relationship with somebody from the same sex that is an accountable relationship. I mentioned to you this uh, site called Triple X Church, and on their site, they actually have a program. It's called X3 Watch. X3 Watch. Here's how it works. You and a friend get together, you sign a covenant, and you log on, and it's free. And anytime your friend, at any time pornography comes up in any way, it will show up on your account. It'll say your friend is on a site he shouldn't be, and vice versa. Again, you might say, that's overkill. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's not overkill. We need to be accountable to those around us who care for us, and we care for them in this battle zone. Let me just tell you that there's some bad news and some good news, and there's some great news. Here's the bad news. We're losing the battle. 
Claudia went to a conference a few months ago called Sliding Versus Deciding. And this statistic is mind-boggling. In the last four years, couples who have chose to live together before they get married, that's increased 286%. So I, I ask myself, I wonder why that's happening. And I think there's two reasons. First is we've moved away from absolute truth. See, in the Old Testament, it's adultery, but in the New Testament, there's a word fornication. We don't talk about that word very often either. Hebrews says, keep the marriage bed pure. But say, why are so many couples choosing then to live outside of marriage? One is the absolute truth, walking away. But here's the other reason. I think they're looking at our generation. I'm talking to my generation. And they're saying, you know, you didn't take that living faithfully very seriously. And I've seen a lot of flaws in the marriages in front of me, I don't think I want to do that. So we need to take responsibility and get back to the basics. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Sherwood Oaks is not in any way turning their heads saying, um, you're on your own. Sherwood Oaks has marriage classes. There's going to be marriage conferences. There's going to be a lot of opportunities uh, through counseling and through classes and small groups. There's countless opportunities that are going on right now and are going to continue with even more intensity in the fall. So Sherwood Oaks is reaching out saying we want to help because marriage matters to God and it matters to us. But here's the great news. Psalms 51.10. David in his brokenness crying out to God, he gets to verse 10 and he said, create in me a clean heart. In other words, he's saying, Lord, even though I have been unfaithful, you are faithful. Wherever you are this morning, maybe you have been really hurt by an act of unfaithfulness, God is faithful. Or maybe you felt the pain of you being unfaithful. You need to know, God is faithful. There's a group of, of individuals over the years that I've really grown to love. It started in Illinois when we had a bunch of our Eagle Scouts go into Marines and just over the years getting to know these guys. But there's something about Marines. And I made a terrible mistake about a month or so ago. I was in a Bible study. I was introducing some of the people to, to the other guys and girls in the group, men and women. And Mickey Love, who I love, I said, this is Mickey Love, great guy, a Korean War veteran. He's an ex-Marine. I was going on and on. A few minutes later, he said, John, I'd like to politely disagree with you. There's no such thing as an ex-Marine. And then he punched me. I didn't know what that was like. No. <laughs> but do you know what the motto is of the Marines? Simplify. Always faithful. Simplify. Always faithful. And as they're going through the training... There's something else that they live by, and I want to close with this thought, and then I'd like to open it up for anybody to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, or anybody who is struggling. We want you to know we're here to pray with you, and we're here for you. And their motto is simply this, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. The more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle.